Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Now, if I ask you the question, what do you fear? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Take a moment. What do you fear in this life? Well, for me, the first thing that comes into my mind is a fear of heights. Oh, man, I remember standing on a glass lookout in Dubai at the top of one of the tallest buildings in the world, and my legs just started shaking uncontrollably. Of course, the same thing happens when I get up on a tall ladder at my house. I mean, that is a fear for me. I don't know why it is. Maybe for you, it's a fear of spiders or sharks or public speaking, or maybe it's the dark. I don't know. Well, for most of us, those fears are rather small in comparison to the fears that we're talking about today with our guest, Rhonda Britton. She believes there are fears that are holding you back, and you might not even be aware of them. Now, this conversation was so powerful that it went a little long, and so I thought it might be good to have it come out in two parts. So part one, which you're listening to right now, is called How to Gain Life Skills to Live Fearlessly, and part two is called Overcoming Childhood Trauma to Live Fearlessly. Now, you've got to listen to both episodes, okay? Do yourself a favor. They both are incredible. Part two is where we feature her personal story of overcoming trauma at the age of 14, and it literally made my jaw hit the floor. If you're not familiar with Rhonda Britton, she is an Emmy Award winner, repeat Oprah guest, and founder of the Fearless Living Institute, an organization dedicated to giving anyone the tools they need to master their emotional fears. She's the author of four national bestsellers, including Fearless Living, which features her groundbreaking work called The Wheel Technology. During her three seasons on the hit daytime reality drama, Starting Over, Rhonda was named America's Favorite Life Coach and was dubbed Starting Over's Most Valuable Player by the New York Times. She is a globally recognized expert on the subject of fear and fearlessness. All right, let's jump into part one of my conversation with Rhonda Britton. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with us today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My deep pleasure. Today, we're talking all about fear, which I know you like to talk about. Oh, I do. And I know there are a lot of people that I come into contact with that would say, I'm not a fearful person. Like, I don't live in fear right? I'm not paralyzed by fear. I think we oftentimes think of somebody that's like huddled in a corner, maybe, you know, like in a fetal position thinking, right. that they're, you know, full of fear or something. <laughs> what would you, what would you say to the person who would say, I, I don't have fears. Maybe I have fear of heights or spiders or snakes, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't have, I'm not a fearful person. I would say, congratulations. First of all, congratulations. Wow. That's amazing. And I would say, you know, I would say two things. So I'm going to take it two different ways. First thing I would say is I never thought I was either because I, I was never a person that said I'm afraid ever. I never said I was scared. I don't remember a day in my life that I said, you know, before I discovered fearless living where I was, where I would say I'm afraid or I'm scared. So I would say, yeah, I'm totally get it. I'm just like you. I didn't think I had any fears either. And then I would say, and so I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. Do you mind if I just check you to see if you have any fear? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So um, do you ever procrastinate? Uh, Yeah. Get perfectionism. Get overwhelmed. 
anxious, yes. comparing, yes. competing, right? Yes. Judging, right? Yes. And I could go on, overwhelmed, yes. uh, right? Irritated, oh, disappointed, yeah, right? Yes. Right. So I usually give people, it's like 30, 40 question quiz, you okay. know, depending on where I am. Sounds like I got 100%. I got an A plus. <laughs> well, most people get at least 80%. Okay. And and when I do it, I mean, there's literally like 30 or 40. I'd be happy to do it if you'd like. But it's just like, you know, procrastination, perfectionism, overwhelm, you know, comparing, competing, et cetera. And, you know, 99% say, well, yeah, I do that. I go, well, you don't procrastinate unless there's a fear underneath. Okay. You're not a perfectionist unless there's a fear underneath. You don't get overwhelmed without a fear underneath. You know, right? You don't get anxious without a fear underneath, right? You don't compete without a fear underneath. You don't compare without a fear underneath. You don't judge without a fear underneath. So all the behaviors that we are not proud of, things that we go, I got to change it about myself. I hate that I'm so comparing. I just hate it. Or I just hate when I judge others, you know, like we all want to become more evolved and loving and, and inclusive. And the fact is, is that what we blame ourselves for and beat ourselves up for um, are really the symptoms of a deeper fear. So okay. people go to perfectionism class or they go to you know procrastination class or they go to overwhelm class and they're really just moving the chairs on the Titanic because fear doesn't care how it stops you. It doesn't care how it stops you. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you procrastinate or you're a perfectionist. It doesn't care. So go fix one and you and I both know that we're, you know, we're old enough to know that if you solve one problem, it seems another problem pops up. Mm -hmm. Is that not true? Right, 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 right. So these are all just symptoms of fear. And most people, when they come to me, just like you, you said, David, well, I don't have a lot of fear. And I go, well, that's fantastic. Awesome. You know, are you living the life that is meant for you? Are you living the life your soul intended? Are you living it fully and completely as best you can be to human being? And usually they're like, well, you know, I could, you know, I don't know. Right. And so you know, people, again, I never walked around saying I'm afraid, but when I started recognizing that all my quote unquote problems that I thought were wrong with me, sure. that I would beat myself up about or put myself down about were really just symptoms of fear. And I was just changing the chairs on the Titanic instead of actually dealing with the source. And that became my life's mission is to understand how fear actually plays out in human reality. Now, what would you say are the most common fears that you deal with as you're working with clients? Well, I, you know, I have something that I created called the wheel of fear and everybody has a unique wheel of fear and there's four components of the wheel of fear. So, you know, everybody's fear is a little bit different, has a little different taste because our fear was developed by the time we were five years old. So um, a lot of people have the fear of failure, the fear of success. These are the, these are, I want to say the, the, the fear responses People come to me and go, yeah, well, I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of success. You know, I have a fear of, uh, you know, I have fear of uh, rejection. Every Most everybody will admit that one, right? Oh, yeah, I, I hate being rejected. And I say, of course, who does, right? Nobody likes being rejected. So those are the fears people admit. But really deeper fears are the fear of loss, the fear of incompetence, right? The fear of being unlovable, right? The fear of you know, being, dis being a disappointment. So there's deeper fears that are underneath the fears that people will readily admit, like fear of mm -hmm. failure, fear of success, and fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. Fear of rejection is way easier to say than fear of being unloved or unlovable. Like that feels so intimate. But see, you're getting to the, you're getting to the point, David, right? So fear of rejection 
is not really addressing the core issue, right? It's not really what's happening. It's again, just a symptom. So yeah, fear of rejection is we all can be like, oh yeah, who likes to be rejected? Or salespeople can be like, oh God, rejection. You have to go through a hundred rejections before you get the sale. Mm-hmm. And so we're trained, we're, we're trying to be trained that like, oh, you should be okay with rejection. You should be okay with rejection. And, and on some level, yes, we all need to be quote unquote, okay with quote unquote rejection because it's actually not real. But unlovable, like you're saying, David, is way like, what? But that rejection is really just, again, a symptom of a deeper fear that we're unlovable, incompetent, you know, that we are for a general, general conversation, just that we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like all of those fears come back to the root of there's something wrong with me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And there, and there is nothing wrong with you. And that is my life's mission. You just hit my life's mission. My life's mission, if I could say one thing to people and have them really get it in their heart and know it like the back of their hand, would be there's nothing wrong with you. It's just fear. And, you know, I spent most of my life beating myself up and trying to I shouldn't judge. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. What's my problem? Why can't I be? Why? 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 What's my problem? I'm so. Uh. And again, not that that I don't that not that I don't want to refine those things, and I don't want to you know grow as a human being. But I just spent so much time and thought I had so many problems and so many character flaws, mm-hmm. you know, or so many limitations or so many weaknesses or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's how people walk around. They actually think there's something wrong with them because they procrastinate. You know, they Mm -hmm. they think there's something wrong with them because they don't like to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of what's just, it's just part of the life, part of fear, part of the experience. Part of the experience. And and you can move beyond it. I mean, that's my Mm -hmm. whole, that's my whole work is is to move people from fear to freedom. And, um, and you know, people just stay on the surface and deal with, again, the chairs on the Titanic rather than dealing with what's really going on. Right. And once you deal with that, once you, I don't even say deals, really not the correct word because it's not dealing with it. It's embracing it. Mm-hmm. And when you embrace it and understand it, then I have something called the wheel of freedom that helps you access all those parts of yourself that you've hidden, denied, ignored, pretended weren't there afraid that we're there. Obviously all the conversations that I have with women on our podcast come flow through my life experiences, the questions and everything. And so um, one of the things you may or may not know about me is I was a pastor, a Christian pastor for Ah. 10 years. And um, so one of the the things that really um, that I've unpacked over the last 11 years of not being in full-time ministry is that so much of the Christian spirituality and church is rooted in there's something wrong with you. That's you, right. You are a sinner mm-hmm. and you are in need of God's grace and Jesus dying on the cross, right? All this stuff. Um, so um, the thing that I'm challenged with by that is so many churches, even if it's subtle, continue to tell you every Sunday, even through the songs, that there's something wrong with you. Yes. And so uh, I really just don't resonate with that, you know, anymore. And not that I don't have faith. I do. I would still consider myself a follower of Jesus. And yet... Um, what you talk about in that there's this freedom of saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You are beautiful. You are wonderfully made. Yes, we all have challenges. Yes, we're all growing. But I'm finding that that message is so much more liberating for me, Yes, right? For the people that I coach, for my kids. And um, that we do have this feeling of we're not enough. We have these problems. But that message of that you are loved, you are enough, 
you are okay. We're growing. We're changing. I got to tell you, Rhonda, that stands in <laughs> direct opposition to everything that I have been taught mm-hmm. in part of, as part of that faith. Yes. Yeah. I mean, do you find that? I don't know. You know, do you find that faith is a is a challenge for people that you coach, or is that not? Or you know, I don't well, know. I was I was going to be minister when I when I was younger, okay. and I actually was in ministerial school. Mm-hmm. when fearless living came through me. Cause I do believe this is a gift from God. I don't believe that I like created this all by myself. I believe yeah. that God was answering a deep cry in my heart. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I remember the day that I really got it and I was sitting there with one of, uh, one of my clients, I was working with somebody, I wasn't a coach yet. Um, I was in public relations and I had a a client who was a trainer and actually one of the first coaches ever in the world. And he and I are sitting in his office, you know, working through some issue. And I had what could be called a mystical experience or who knows what, what you want to call it, but I call it a mystical experience. And basically um, to the right of me, right up here, uh, the world opened up, it's like heaven opened up and uh, like a book came out and went like this. And then shut and shut and went away. And I was like, mm-hmm. what the hell just happened? What the mm-hmm. heck just happened? Oh my gosh, what just happened? Yeah. And um, what happened is that I was literally downloaded the answer to every question I'd ever asked. Hmm. And inside that message was inherently, oh, well, Rhonda, I'm giving this to you, but you don't have to go teach it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, no, uh, I am not, you know, I'm not worthy of this. Like I can't do this. And it took me many months to em- embrace what was gifted to me. And, you know, obviously uh, God keeps working through me and helping me refine the message, et cetera. But I, like you, um, was only, I always had to fix myself. Right, right. now, this is where I go. This is where I go with God and I do sermons. I love talking about God and fear. Um, the thing is, is that I think there's a disconnect for most people, just like you're talking about, but the disconnect when, even when you're talking about, oh, your love, your whole, you know, you're good enough, right? All, all those things. Yeah. The disconnect is that you still need skills. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But most people don't get that. So most people walk around are told that they're loving, you know, oh, you're loved and you're good and you, you, you know, you're perfect as you are. Yeah. And then they don't actually understand why they're still having problems or why mm-hmm. still thing isn't quite working because they're not going to get the skills they need. Right. So it's not that you're a sinner and don't get skills right. and that you're loved. You need skills. Right. So be, to become in this world, to show up as God intended, i.e. more loving, more expansive, more inclusive. Sure. That just doesn't happen like because you want to be more loving. You actually have to be refined. You're just like right. a diamond, right? That has to be chipped away. And you also have to be added to in the sense of skills. So I think one of the big things that I find when I go into spiritual homes, i.e. churches, et cetera, um, is that there's not enough skill building. Right. Right. So, so people are walking around. I don't care which church you go to. Yes. I don't care if you go to a new age church that talks about your loving right. or I don't talk about, or, or the church that you're saying, like you're a sinner. I've been to yeah. both. I go, I go to both. I, I, I get the message of both, Yeah, yeah. but they're not really. And that, I think one of the benefits, um, like actually Joel Olstein, I always say is a little bit more of a coach than a minister right. because right. he actually will say things, but, um, we all need skills and right. Just telling you to be nicer to people isn't actually a skill. Right, right. It's a concept 
Yes. But I spend most of my time, David, when I coach, doing role plays with people. How do I tell that to my mother? How do I say that to my boss? How do I, like, I can tell you all day long to go and be nice. I can tell you all day long to go be loving. But unless you work through that and understand what that really looks like and sounds like. Right, right, right. You are most likely never going to do it in the way that you cry for. And you're still going to beat yourself up because you're like, I know I should be more loving. I know I should be more loving. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I really tried. And, yeah. and, you know, I have a client who's, you know, um, trying to be more loving and sure. she has conflict with her mother and she doesn't know I had to try, you know, teach her, train her, support her mm-hmm. in understanding how to hold herself solid in the face of her mother and be loving at the same time. Yeah. 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 I don't think people, know, people don't know that people don't talk about it. People don't teach it. Okay. I mean, so I this do, is but. amazing. So my wife is a kindergarten teacher. Ah. She has uh, embraced a way of do, doing things called uh, conscious discipline. And it's ah, a, it's a certain that. way of, uh, you know, molding, shaping and helping kids. Uh-huh. And so, so much of elementary school teachers have a treasure box. If you perform a certain way, then you get to go visit the treasure box, which mm-hmm. is a bunch of, you know, dollar store crap. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she is just going through, she just finished summer school. She had a student in her class. It's very challenged. And the parents are saying, you can't go to this movie if you don't have a good day. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all punitive. And my wife, you know, she deconstructs this stuff at home, processing it. And she said, they don't understand that it's not about punishment or reward. It's right. about the fact that he's missing skills. That's right. He, he's, he missing skills. he's missing skills. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He doesn't but, know how to regulate his emotions. That's he doesn't right. know how to regulate right. his body. That's and he right. doesn't know how that's to right. process. And that's so right. when they hear, uh, the parents hear counseling, they think, oh, he's going to have to lay on a couch and deconstruct you know, his five years of life. When she's saying, no, 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 counseling at that age is literally role play, teaching right. the child how to interact with his or her peers. Yes. How to have exactly. a conversation. Yeah. So I love what you're saying that it's like, okay, you've got to be told that you're loving. You are complete. You are whole. You are beautiful. But at the same time, you're growing, you're changing, you need skills. And well, I, yeah. how do you express beauty? How do you express love? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you do that? I, I remember my niece, um, she was, she had a, I think her son at the time maybe was three or four, maybe five, you know, really little. And he was holding something you know, really precious, you know, he picked something up on the shelf and she says, don't drop it. And I said, how does somebody not drop something? How does somebody not drop something? Yeah. How does, so you're not teaching him how to hold it. Right. I said, sweetheart. So you need to say, hold it gently, right. hold it with two hands, right? Right, right, right? You need to tell people how to do something, but instead we go, don't drop it. Yeah. Like, well, the only thing I hear is drop it. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's what our conscience hears too, right? That's how yeah, our brain yeah. works. But the point is, is that what we're doing is we're telling people not to do something mm-hmm. rather than telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I spend 99% of my time talking to people about what to do. Mm-hmm. What, I, I don't talk about what not to do. Mm-hmm. I never tell somebody not to do something. Mm-hmm. That's a waste of time. Instead, you want to tell them what to do so they start doing that replacement. So they start understanding, oh, in this situation, I want to move that glass object from here to here. It's not, don't drop it. It's more like, okay, hold it with two hands. Right. right? Does it need bubble wrap? Right? Like there's a lot of things to think about in order to get that 
object safely from, you know, the table to the couch. Sure, but, sure. But because just like you, just like your wife is experiencing in, in kindergarten, parents have never learned it. Right. So then they just demand good behavior, right? right? But they don't understand that to get somebody from here, like you're saying, you have to teach them how to regulate their emotions. You have to learn that how to, how to speak up. You have to let them understand who they are and what they're feeling and their feelings sure. are okay. Yeah. So, but most parents don't have that skill. So your mother is, your, excuse me, your wife is working with the mothers of the children, the fathers of the children, right? Or the caretakers yeah. of the children. Yeah. And I'm working with the parents. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> That's so good. So good. Okay. So back to fear. Um, yes. when, when I'm having, whether it's perfectionism or procrastination or comparison or, you know, all of these things that are rooted in that I'm not enough, I'm feeling less than, maybe mm-hmm. you won't love me, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that fear work inside of our brain? Like, help me Ah. understand how that, like, is bouncing around inside of there. Well, let's just say a couple things about how the brain works. Number one, uh, the fear, actually, let's just say that fear and the brain and our whole body system, our neurobiology, wants to keep us safe. So that's the first and foremost thing. We are meant to survive. Now, this is how the brain works. The brain doesn't know the difference between an emotional fear or a physical fear. Okay. It doesn't know the difference. So we all can relate to, oh, I'm afraid of heights, and we all get that as a survival mechanism, right? We, we, we can logically all get that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's scary. That's a survival mechanism. I don't want to fall. Okay, got it. But that same thing in the brain is actually happening on an emotional level. The brain doesn't know the difference. Mm. So if you haven't dated for 20 years, if you have weight that you haven't let go of or released for you know five, if you have never asked for a raise before, if you've never changed jobs before, if you've never moved, right? Anything that's new or different, that is literally to the brain and body, depending on your abilities, like being on a high building and jumping off. Yeah. So, so again, people don't equate them the same. They think like, oh, well, I mean, nobody, I, I, I very rarely come across somebody who's like, well, I'm afraid of spiders. You know, like we'll admit our phobias, i.e. in the heights and spiders and snakes, But what people don't get is that emotions are the exact same thing. Mm. Our risk-taking is the exact same thing. That's how Mm. our brain works. So we are literally meant to survive. We are literally meant to stay safe. Mm -hmm. So our body and brain will invent anything it needs to to get us to stay stuck, safe, and small because that's the only way it can guarantee our safety. So Mm. another way to think of it is I have survived this, this long, right? I've survived this long. So clearly what I've done in the past has worked Mm -hmm. to keep me in survival, Mm -hmm. not happy, not joyous. Fear doesn't care about those things. That's not what it's about. It only cares about survival. Okay. So you can talk to most people our age, David, and they're like, I keep doing the same thing. I keep doing the same thing because fear is like, yes, and you survived. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Look, we did it. Yeah, yeah. So it, again, fear's job is not to make you happy, joyful, peaceful, graceful, easy. It's to help you survive. Okay. So that's one thing about the brain. All the right. So thing, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. I was just going to say another thing about the brain is what they're discovering, which is really cool, is that they're starting to discover that fears are handed down through our DNA. Yeah. Tell me about I don't like this. I well, hate you know, this. <laughs> Yes, but this is the thing. You can transcend them. Just because you have a fear that's been handed down to your DNA, I like to think of it this way. 
I've had fear handed down through my DNA and I am choosing to be the place that it transforms so that my cells and my DNA shift, right? Um, we are knowing it through epi- epigenics, right? Epige- that word that I can't pronounce right now. Um, you know, we know that we can change our DNA. We're, mm-hmm. we're highly aware of that now, right? Like every piece of our DNA has six, eight, 10 ways that it can transform, uh, that it can uh, show up. Mm-hmm. So through our choices, our DNA will show up a certain way. So just because your fears are handed down through your DNA does not mean you're a victim of them. Mm-hmm. Does not mean you're a victim of it all. It's like, oh, okay, I've been handed down intimacy issues. Got it. I can look at my history. I can look at my grandma. I can look at my grandpa. Grandpa, I can look at my mother, I can look at my father, I can look at the, the people that I, I know that are alive in my lifetime, I can go, make sense, make sense. Mm-hmm. And then people think, they walk around thinking, I'm not going to be like my mom, I'm not going to be like my dad. And sure. then they don't go learn skills. And they, they just try to, again, push against it, rather than learn a new way of being, which, oh, by the way, is going to wake them up and make them become more of who they're meant to be. But that takes effort, Mm -hmm. right? It takes a willingness. Mm -hmm. It takes a surrender. It takes all those wonderful qualities of release and letting go and claiming. So, um, so yeah, so the brain is in complete alignment with one to keep us safe. That's his number thing. So when anybody, if any, I always say this, you know, if every, anybody ever says to you, you're never going to fear, you work with me and you'll never fear fear again. I always say, when's the lobotomy? Because that's not even how we're wired. That's not the point. It's not about, I want to get fearless so I never feel fear again. That's not the point. The point to get fearless is to start understanding how you work. How do you process your fear? How do you work when you're feeling fear of rejection, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of incompetent, right? All those fears come up. What do you think? What do you feel? What do you do? And how can you transform them? And where's your access point out? Because your access point, David, may be different than my access point. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole point of a wheel of fear and wheel of freedom is that I'm going to show you how you work when you're triggered. I'm also going to show you how to move out of it so you can move out of it. Nice, nice. Uh, some of our listeners will know that I, um, 11 years ago, I had a kind of meltdown myself and I had a brain scan through the Amen Clinic, Dr. Oh, Amen. yeah, uh-huh, yes. And they do a you know measure yeah. of the activity level of your brain. And um, the two areas, three areas of my brain that they pointed out, one was my basal ganglia was at a plus four. They have a plus plus four to minus four system, plus four being like super overactive off the chart. Uh, My uh, uh, cingulate was at a plus two. And then my um, prefrontal cortex was at a negative two. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm in good shape. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. So, but what was great? Not was, not in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> negative two. <laughs> they said. Um, so when somebody brings you negative information, mm-hmm. um, you probably either want to really amp up, you know, or run away, fight or flight, because I'm at a negative four. And you know, I can point to multiple times when I have had negative information. I will literally have a jolt of energy flow through my body. That's not a positive jolt, right? It's not a like, Ooh, that felt good. It is a (laughs) adrenaline jolt that, that, that I didn't ask for, right? It just bam shows up. Yes. And uh, obviously that's a triggering, you know, experience. And, uh, you know, I've had to learn how to process those things and, and, uh, you know, how to deal with that and, um, and how to love it. 
Well, I, I you know, it, it provides energy. You know what I mean? It, right. it definitely because I'm an uh, I'm I'm an act, action taker. You know, mm-hmm. so it motivates me to take action in ways. But you know, my company's called Fearless Living Institute. Fly the acronym Fly, and how I really use the acronym Fly Fearless Living Institute is frequency, length, and intensity. And the when you start understanding how you process. Um, the frequency in which you get triggered will decrease. Mm-hmm. The length it lasts will shorten and the intensity will minimize. Nice. So it's not about, oh my God, I'm never going to get triggered again. It's more like, oh, I'm getting triggered. Oh, and I know now what to do about it. Sure. So it's not about never happening, but it's about becoming aware of how you work. And then the key is knowing what to do when you are triggered You've listened to part one, now listen to part two, entitled Overcoming Childhood Trauma to Live Fearlessly. You'll hear Rhonda's personal story, and I'm telling you that you will tell all your friends to listen. It is that powerful. Now, somebody needs to hear this message that you just heard. You know exactly who it is. Their face popped into your head while you were listening. All you need to do is tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on the Apple or Google podcast app that's already on their phone, or tell them to go check out insporising.com. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.